Hello everyone, you're listening to the TechLoop podcast. In conversation with us today, we have Ms. Tanvi Patil, a software engineer currently working at Uber. She also has six years of experience in web application development, having worked for companies like Yelp and Oracle. It's a pleasure to have you with us today, Tanvi. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. I hope everyone who's listening to this is doing good. Right. So now a question that most of us grapple with as beginners in tech is where to get started, because today with the various domains out there and such a wide range of resources, it can get really confusing. So how do you think one should start out in tech? So I guess it really depends on multiple things. So uh, one thing is you should be passionate about uh, what field you are in, but I, I also understand that a lot of that doesn't work in our culture in India. It's for a lot of us, it's either going into engineering or going into medical. <laughs> but um, I feel if until and unless uh, you are really good at what you do and you understand uh, the value that you bring to your employer, uh, you can't really excel. Uh, so short answer for me is if you want to start out uh, first understand what is your uh, field of interest for example if i'm right now in engineering school uh, doing computer science um, i would try to find out that what interests me most is that uh, the data science aspect machine learning aspect back-end front-end and then really try to uh, find projects in those areas and go deep into it. So um, what I see from the point where I am right now while taking multiple interviews is that when someone is really uh, deeper into a field, you can really filter them out from the rest of the crowd. So I guess that that's a very good um, way to start is to... Um, be passionate and interested about what you're getting into and then the doors open um, kind of automatically or like you have to really work towards that particular path that you feel is right for you. That really clarifies things. I hope, I wish I had that information I was starting out. Well, okay, so now that you said that you should be passionate about what you're doing, the question arises of whether you should stick to that tech stack and pursue that one tech stack till you're really good at it, or know the workaround basics for all of them? That's a good question. So what I feel is uh, the value of an engineer uh, comes when you can uh, unpack a really complex problem given to you. So it doesn't really matter if you are uh, good in uh, technology A versus uh, technology B. Uh, when we interview um, other companies like Uber and Yelp and Google. They don't really want you to be an expert in, um, let's say, only Java or only Golang or only Python. What they want is you really understand the object-oriented concept or any concept related to one specific language. Um, and you know uh, what data structures you can use to leverage most out of that language that you know. Um, and that is good enough. So, for example, uh, when I started out, um, probably React language didn't ex exist or uh, pro probably Golang was not so big. 
but right now, uh, I code in Golang day in and day out. So they can't expect you to know about all languages. So there's uh, a lot of frameworks, especially in uh, front-end world or in web development world. Now, things change very fast. Like if you don't update your knowledge for five years or a decade, you are pretty much outdated. So in the in the world where things change so fast, um, all you need to do is be um, be fully um, or be as much knowledgeable as you can in one specific tech stack, and then uh, the interviewers would see the potential in you um, from the uh, from the. Uh, good foundation that you have for a specific tech stack. And then they know that you can be put on any other uh, problem or you can be put on uh, any a situation where you need to learn new technology, but you can learn it fast because you know the basics of it, if that makes sense. It does. It makes so much sense because obviously if you have the basics or something, it's definitely going to increase your confidence and your core uh, knowledge of those things and overall improve your capability as a developer. Right. So now uh, going by your career span, you've worked in web dev for six years and then you chose to shift to software engineering. So if somebody was interested in web dev and wanted to make the same shift, how would you suggest approaching that? So I guess there's no one answer to it. So the answer is it depends. For example, when I started out, I started from front-end development and then I went into full-stack development. But as I grew up um, in ladder and software engineering, I realized that it doesn't matter um, what stack you want to uh, be in, but um, what to, to me specifically, I understood that I needed to learn the the software that my employer is using to solve specific problems. So, for example, when I was in Yelp, uh, I was part of web infrastructure team. Uh, so, however, they required full-stack engineers. I, I did a lot of work on the back end. That's when I realized um, uh, that I find back end more interesting because uh, the reason for me was that uh, the issue of scalability came into picture after I started working on the back end. So if I have to give more example of it, um, we started, I was working on a project where we were trying to reduce the response time uh, for any request that comes into Yelp's web platform. So that requires work at a lot of level. It requires work at load balancer level. It requires uh, work at um, the server server layer. Um, the, the request bounces uh, 50 different hops and you want to reduce those hops. So you have to really understand what problem space you are working into. So you have to look at scalability. When What happens when there comes 1,000 requests at the same second or 10,000 requests at the same second? So that was my um, background um, as to how I switched to backend. But I guess if someone else has to do it, um, I feel the world is very easy these days in the sense that um, if you say if you're interested in a specific area um, especially with the current companies 
or my current company that I work for or recent companies that I work for, uh, all they want to know is um, you could be a success if you are interested in something. So if you just let them know that I want to explore backend a bit, can you give me a project where I can do probably 20% of time backend work and then 80% of times the work that I already know how to do, uh, then, you know, you can make that kind of trade-off with your manager or with your team uh, to start with. And then you just have to find um, what gives you more right. fulfillment and now, what gives you um, more success. Is, I mean, this is a problem that I personally talk, uh, deal with, but backend just feels very challenging to get into since I've been working in front-end for so mm-hmm. long and I'm assuming it's a common problem because a lot of my friends have told me the same. So how would you suggest one gets started in backend and starts exploring different concepts to get a strong base in it? Right. I guess uh, that way, front-end and backend is very different. So I feel backend is... Um, more established in the sense that you don't just get rid of Java one day and then um, start using another framework other day. Um, there are people who are still using Java since a decade or more, and um, they are they know how the language works. But in front end, um, you deal with different kind of problems. So I, I I guess when you move from front end to back end, the problem space itself changes. Uh, the uh, perspective through which you're looking at the code. For example, in front end, you care about like how fast a specific snippet of the web page would load or how do you surface specific data um, on the page and what language would you use or how would you use the current framework to do so. But backend could seem more challenging if you are still sitting in the same zone or if you're still looking from the same perspective right when you go in the back-end world probably the problems that you are solving are different so you have to change your perspective and then you have to update your skill set to match your perspective and uh, that could be daunting for someone so i i see where you're coming from and i see how it could be challenging but uh, to my answer to that is if you really have to do that, like, first of all, do you need to make that switch? If you really have to make that switch, then you have to like improve your skill set to match up to uh, the standards and then change your perspective. Um, one day you are looking at uh, uh, surfacing all the data or like uh, making some front-end change in the website and then the other day you have to look at uh, some other problems that the backend technology is solving. So it comes easy if you uh, mentally prepare yourself and then um, technically prepare yourself. That's fair. No way to go but dive in. Right. So um, now with you advancing in your career further, I'm sure that when you started out, you were looking for internships to work for and companies that would help you grow your skills as well as give you some industrial experience. But it's also quite challenging to get internships nowadays with like the competition that's out there and the multiple platforms that are there. It can get really confusing for people. 
So how do you think one should apply for internships or approach companies to apply for internships? Yeah, that's a very uh, common question that I get asked a lot. Um, and I start with this. Uh, when I was doing my engineering, uh, probably like almost a decade ago, uh, I was so naive that I probably didn't know that I, I was supposed to do internship and that would help me get uh, a full-time job. So I say that people who think that um, they should do internship, I, I just want to really appreciate them and say that you are really ahead in your career. Um, so keep it up with that. Um, and coming to the question that how do you get internship um, and how do you apply to these companies? So I guess uh, when I was in India, um, I was I I saw this that um, a lot of companies would filter out applications from, uh, depending on the college that you are from or the universities that you are from, which is very unfortunate. Um, and I feel that uh, these days things are changing. But um, if I have to do um, something, I guess I would check out um, check out with my professors. Like that's what I did um, when I was doing masters uh, here in the states. But I'm not sure how it would work in India. But I would check out with my professors if they have any connections or they have they know of any. Uh, past students who are working in the companies. Um, a lot of times, uh, LMs or, or students who have, or, or the people who have been in the same university as you are, they are more willing to help you than others uh, because they see where you're coming from and you have some common connections. I would reach out to them on LinkedIn probably um, and try to see if they can refer you for internships. So, References are great because when someone refers you, the recruiter is guaranteed to look at your application. So that's one thing to get out um, and get into the door. It's a very uh, valid point, actually, because uh, a growing concern for people is uh, the not getting placed as a really high-end job in the beginning because it just feels like a failure if you see somebody they, else is uh, achieving the same platform, if you have the same or even a better skill set. So and not getting disappointed by setbacks is going to help you achieve everything in life. Career website of the companies, but I know that a lot of times why it doesn't work out. So um, I guess what I, I would do is really just cold email people, um, try to reach out to as many people virtually and um, in real life as much as possible. The, getting the first internship or getting the first job is the hardest part. And after that, things go easy. So I would still keep trying. Um, and if I don't get the dream company that I'm aiming for, I would not get disappointed. I, I, I think even if you land an internship um, in your plan B or plan C company, that's still a win compared to um, not having an internship or not um, starting out in the industry. So I would say that no start is small or big. It's good. It's a start. So you're going to get where you want to at some day, but like don't get disappointed at the stage where you're just starting out.
That's great. I, I honestly hope that everyone has that inner strength to be able to do that because if you don't, then it can get even more challenging to face those problems later in life. Yeah, to also add to it, I would say that when I started out in my career, um, I didn't get college placement and I was very, um, of course, disappointed um, with myself. My relatives were disappointed with me uh, because you know, everyone gets placed and you didn't get placed. That, that's a shameful thing. Huh? So, but now that I look back, like 10 years ago, I, I felt that, um, I felt proud of myself that I at least found a job. Um, doesn't matter if I didn't find the right job at that point, but fast forward to this day, I feel that, um, I have access to all the companies that I dreamt uh, of being in. So it's just a matter of time. Um, at this point, whoever was placed 10 years ago in very good companies, they are probably still there. Or whoever uh, um, cracked really big companies, uh, they are still doing well. So it's, like, it's very easy to compare yourself with others, but um, you don't know how the future is going to play out. So just keep having that faith in yourself. So now that you mentioned that you did your master's in the U.S., another problem that I can think of that students face is choosing between whether they want to go for a job or whether they want to go for a master's. Because, yeah. I mean, a lot of people say that getting work experience before master's is important. A lot of people say that having a master's degree will help you get a better job. So what is your opinion on that? Yeah, so I guess I was in the same boat a few years ago. But uh, again, my answer is that it depends. Every case is different. So I, if I have to generalize it, I would say um, not. Uh, so masters is doing masters in U.S. is just like a gateway to all all these uh, companies here in the U.S. or uh, the American uh, American uh, dream that a lot of people dream of, right? So. That's just like a, a mean to that world. Uh, so I would say that if right out of college, if you get uh, placed in any of your dream company, then it is always worth to do. Uh, and if that doesn't happen, and if you have means to do masters, for example, if you can afford uh, paying tuition fees for a master's in the U.S. or if you get scholarships for uh, any of the program uh, here, then this is from my experience and this is from the experience of a lot of other people around me that you should not wait or spend any time um, in doing job. You should just come here, finish your master's and then look for a job. The reason being, um, you know, when I started my master's, uh, I was already three years out of college. And then uh, when I start, started looking for a job, I'm already, um, you know, um, uh, in my mid to late 20s. And then I go to work and then I see that uh, a new uh, new grad who has recently did bachelor's from any university here, they are doing so well in their career at such an early age that I feel I missed out on that uh, time. So uh, if you have means and if you think that 
you haven't got a dream company that you were dreaming of. Um, and if you want to do masters, then that's the right time to do masters. Just come to US right after your uh, graduation there. But um, having said that, I couldn't do that uh, because of my personal financial reasons. So I had to stay back in India, um, earn money to um, do applications to the US, um, which I did. And then I got a scholarship here and then I came here. So I feel that everyone's situation is different. Um, so there's no like one answer to that. But um I can't emphasize enough that if you have an American dream and if you think you want to do master, like come as soon as you can. And if you get a job into any of the multinational companies in India, let's say Microsoft or Google or Amazon or Uber, then these days these companies are paying really well in India. Um, and maybe you can take that job and then if you want to come to US or any other country, you can do internal transfer. So that, that's also another route. So, in that case, you don't even have to do master's. So, yeah, these are like all different paths and possibilities that I've seen um, in the last few years. It's honestly really admirable that you worked on your own and like secured that scholarship to do your own master's. And, okay, now that you said that a master's as soon as possible is something that you should go for uh, how do you think one should apply for a master's degree because there's a lot of exams to give there's a lot of applications to fill out so what are some things that you think people should focus on and don't focus on that could really give them an edge over the other applicants yeah so i feel that the whole process is really overwhelming um and i I myself was a little lost uh, when I was going through the process. So I I would say just because the, uh, the length of the process or the complexity of the process, you should start out early. Uh, so let's say if I plan to be in the States in 2023, I would start out my preparation probably in 21 or 22. Um, and then... Um, Look at what the requirements are for, you know, one or two of your dream universities. So uh, let's say I'm interested in Stanford. I would go and check their um, schedule to see how uh, soon they open up uh, their admissions, for example, and then see that they require a um, specific uh, score for your English efficiency test. It could be TOEFL, IELTS, and then... Um, they don't really give out like one specific score that they need for GRE, but uh, I was start preparing for GRE um, early on so that, you know, I can um, leverage the time to be best in that. And then there's a lot of other things that go in the background besides the GRE and um, TOEFL preparation. So uh, the universities here, uh, the humans who are looking at the package that you send to them. They look at other aspects too. For example, um, how um, how talented you are in terms of, in, in, in all the skill sets that are required for that program. So if you say that you are going for a computer science program, then um, if you have already created um, one or two apps which are a success uh, between uh, let's say 100,000 or 200,000 people, 
and that's going to set you apart from all other applicants. So they are going to look at all these things. So I would also spend time in building up my portfolio to be as much unique as I can um, and as much authentic and uh, uh, talented I could look on the paper. So uh, those are the things that you want to do. And then when the actual applications come, um, you know, you want to apply to, um, so there are either two strategies. You only want to go to these two or three universities, so you only apply to them. It's like two or nothing for you, right? And then the other strategy is uh, you want to apply to as many universities as you can because your ultimate goal is to be in U.S. and then you'll figure out things after you are here, for example. So then you have to lay out different uh, paths for you. You have to filter out universities based on different criteria and then apply from there. So, uh, like you mentioned that one should build upon their portfolio as well to have a physical showcase of their skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a very common advice that I have personally received is that if you're applying for a job, you should focus on your CGPA. And if you're applying for a master's, you should do more project-based learning. So, uh, do you think if somebody is applying for a job, projects are less important? So I can't really speak on behalf of all the employers who are hiring students, but I would say that if I was hiring um, new grads, then I would be very impressed with uh, all these unique projects that they're doing because uh, that is the real talent there. So um, it would be wrong to say that you shouldn't be looking into building your portfolio, uh, but if you have built your portfolio, then I don't think anyone is going to look at it in a negative way. Um, if at all, I feel that's going to help you positively. Uh, but at the same time, I guess uh, the GPA matters too. So it's just like a trade-off or you really have to be uh, efficient with your time um, to achieve most in the least amount of time. So there are some um, apps which are uh, very cool to do. It doesn't take too much of your time. Probably go through a hackathon for a weekend and you can make really impactful apps, for example. So those kind of things, it takes uh, less time, but it it is high impact. So maybe you can do that kind of trade-off. That's great advice. And again, speaking of jobs, uh, a lot of students, including myself, dream of getting into the big fang companies. And it's honestly just something that most of us work towards. Apple, Netflix, Facebook, it's just giant companies that you want to be a part of, either just because they're very cool or because they have higher end packages. So... Do you have any advice for people that want to apply to such companies? Sure. So I guess um, to be in those companies, you have to really do lead code. I don't know if, if you know about lead code, but um, lead code is a platform where, where you do problem solving. And believe it or not, um, as an interviewer, uh, we refer or we fall back a lot to lead code style questions. So 
when you are just starting out, there are very less expectations from you uh, in terms of design and architecture or software engineering principle related questions, but they, they are going to ask you more of coding questions. So I would really, um, you know, try to be solid in on coding aspect. And I would do all the dynamic uh, programming problem or breadth for search, uh, depth for search problems or backtracking problem. Um, and uh, solve these problems in a way that even if an unfamiliar problem arises, I know what strategies I should apply to uh, tackle those kind of problems. Because all these big companies, they make sure that they don't repeat the questions. So even if you have done like 200 lead code questions, um, that's average, I feel. Uh, you probably will get at least three out of four que interview questions, which is that something that you have never seen before. So you really have to master the strategy to solve specific kind of problems. So I would make my coding um, aspect very solid. Um, these days I've seen that Google, Facebook, when they're hiring new grads, they don't really look at the university that you come from um, as uh, as good as uh, just having a good GPA could probably get you in the door. But after that comes, they, they give you like a technical problem to solve um, at home. And then the second round is the recruiter doing screening. So you just have to focus on clearing those hops. And then... There are some sites uh, which allow you to do mock interviews uh, where there is actual human um, on the other side and mostly that human is, um, you know, sitting anywhere in the group. So what you do is they interview you for 30 minutes and then you interview them for 30 minutes. And then I feel like that's a great way to prepare yourself for actual interviews. Um, and I guess I would prepare as much as mock interviews as I could so that if I get any interviews, um, I don't want to, you know, be a failure in those interviews. That was a lovely answer. Now, um, there's a, there is still a large discrepancy between the number of men and women working in the tech industry and learning computer science in universities and colleges. How do you think we can fix this and reduce the gap? So I guess that's a question which is uh, the scope of solution of this question is it is largely uh, it falls under uh, responsibility of all of us. This is also something uh, that is very tied closely with how culturally we are brought up, uh, how socially we behave, and then um, ultimately how. Um, how the systems are in corporate. So uh, this is rooted very, very deeply. Um, for example, while growing up, you know, how certain countries treat girls differently than boys, how girls are given um, dolls to play with, how boys are given cars to play with, for example. All of this translates to some level to the corporates that we work for. Uh, so I'm not saying that it is a problem that is unresolvable, but this is something that needs to be resolved by a lot of entities in our society. Um, in corporates, I do feel that 
uh, these days people have started taking more efforts in getting more women to get into STEM. Um, a lot of companies give scholarships. A lot of companies do all different kind of um, ways that they can to get um, more non-males into the funnel. And they hope that eventually that translates into more number of uh, women in work environment. So this is something that doesn't happen overnight. It happens over, it, it usually takes years to see the effect. So when we were growing up, probably um, Sudha Murthy was, you know, the only women in her class of thousands of engineers in back in 1990s. But uh, today the situation is different than what it was when Sudha Murthy was in college. So similarly, we are... We should be hopeful that um, situation will be even better for our uh, next generations to come. That's that's true. Uh, what I've noticed, or at least have been told by my relatives or maybe my friends that are in the working industry, is that even when it comes to involving women in uh, tech environments or just in a job scenario, in any case. What happens often is that they're just included to show that they have a diverse sex ratio or that they have a diverse work culture and eventually they get less opportunities in that space as well. So what is your opinion on that? Because to just bring in diversity for show and just to showcase how woke somebody is, is also not going to bring about change, right? Yeah, so I guess this is debatable. Um, I also believe in equity than equality. What it means is probably if two people are standing in the race, person A needs um, more push versus person what person B needs. So sometimes like that's how reservations were built uh, in our constitute, for example, right? Because we wanted to give more opportunity to people who wouldn't otherwise have opportunities. That's why Ambedkar really fought for having some reservations uh, for underrepresented communities in India. Similarly, I feel uh, that you know, in some way, um, it it does make sense, but there has to be a balance. For example. There is a research done that shows that more number of women don't uh, nominate themselves for promotion uh, compared to other men. And the ratio even goes bad for uh, white men versus uh, women of color. So in this, can, in this kind of situation, um, what I see in my work environment is uh, a lot of managers are empowered uh, and they are aware of uh, these kind of uh, differences that exist or these kind of biases that exist. Um, and what they do is they probably push women more to um, nominate themselves for promotions compared to men. Now you would you can you can argue that um, you know why should they give special treatment to minority, but if you this this really comes down to what perspective you're seeing this from and it really comes down to what problem you are actually trying to solve so i would say that 
it is probably case by case basis different and i also think that it depends on the lens from which you are looking at um, to make sense out of it that's that's very valid the equity and equality battle rages on each side is just <sighs> that was not eloquent i apologize <laughs> um <laughs> it's just uh, that once you are in that field i suppose if you get um, chosen over sorry not chosen over like if for example like a lot of my uh, male friends have uh, shown this pleasure over how a lot of schemes not well they call it schemes but they're not really schemes a lot of conce- uh, a lot of uh, opportunities come up for women to be included in tech such as microsoft having special programs a lot of other um, uh things like G- uh, the outreachy program which is like parallel to gsoc which is predominantly geared towards getting minority communities into uh tech and to provide the same opportunities to them so they showed us pleasure in the fact that they're getting less opportunities but they don't factor in the fact that well generationally they've had that larger um advantage to be able to stand where they are to be able to compete where they are and throughout their lives because let's be honest the generational fight is something that is very slow and is probably going to take any solid changes will only be able to be seen in a few decades perhaps maybe our children would be enjoying the benefits of it i hope they do so at least so far that displeasure continues and that debate continues which i hope shall soon be in the favor of equity and not equality so i i agree to that point too but i i i feel that at the end of the day it also depends on the hiring standards of the company so if i have to give an example um uh, right now i sit on the recruiting panel at uber so what we are told is that for every um white male or for every male or for every majority that we interview we should interview two minorities so they are putting more of underrepresented people in the interview funnel but we are not dropping down the hiring standards for anyone so what that means is probably more underrepresented people go in the interview funnel right. but the outcome is not varied depending on who you are outcome is still merit based so we probably uh, reach out to or we try to find out more uh, black women or more women in general uh, to interview with over but um, we don't we are not going to make um, you know discrimination while we make judgment on who should um join over if that makes sense so i guess yeah it, it is um debatable from a point um but you can say that minorities are getting more opportunities but is this is is this what the situation demands like i don't know if there's a right or wrong answer right because again the opportunities are subjective right they're getting the opportunity now because they didn't get the opportunities maybe when they were a child maybe during their education i think that's really commendable of uber honestly because um i i do agree that you can't uh 
you know, obviously, since you're going to be asking for a service and you're going to be working and they require a certain level of competency, they can't uh, reduce the expectancy in terms of merit. But by involving more people from minorities uh, in in that process will help funnel through more people that are deserving from that uh, group and not just have a level playing field in terms of just equality. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. Okay. So now we move on to what is personally my favorite part of this podcast. So this segment is called Sketchy Banter, where I will be asking you five to six informal questions and you have to answer them off the top of your head. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So um, if you could choose to make any existing framework obsolete, which one would it be and why? So I guess this is going to be debatable, but mm-hmm. I would say that I want to make Python obsolete. <laughs> now, before you form opinion about me, um, I want to clarify a few things. So. I feel that Python is great for anyone who is starting out in data science or machine learning and who is running uh, things locally. But when um, when the magnitude of the system or the or the scale scale of the system increases, Python becomes a pain uh, because multi-threading is not Python's strong point. Um, in fact, Python is not really multi-threading at all. So what happens is like it slows down the system and I guess um, having worked in like, large-scale uh, application-based environment since a while, I feel that um, people who come from Python background, uh, they expect that you, you can get used to simplicity of Python's language, but um, it can hurt um, large-scale-based applications. So, that's where I come from. But it's debatable. I agree. I can almost hear almost, I don't know, 90% of Indian engineering students' freshers hearts breaking. <laughs> it's a great language, though. <laughs> it's great to start with. It is a great language to interview with. So I want to clarify that. <laughs> We're moving on from that controversial answer. What is a question that you personally hate answering about development? Uh, so, I guess about development, um, one question that I got, I get asked a lot is, um, what framework should I focus on? Or should I uh, spend my energy in uh, knowing all of framework A versus framework B? And I guess... It so happens that a lot of people end up spending a significant amount of time and energy in just deciding um, what frameworks they should learn. I feel in front-end world, it uh, might still make a difference, but um, what a lot of companies look for is um, the is for, for candidates to have their object-oriented programming foundations clear. So it doesn't matter if you... Um, you know, try to ace um, practicing interview questions in Java or Python. No one is going to judge you, uh, provided it's a company 
that that believes in that kind of philosophy, but they are trying to interviewers are trying to judge you uh, based on your skill to solve problems, um, and they are going to try to get um, a judgment on how well you know your framework. So you know you can get uh, lost into analysis paralysis. You can read like. Hundreds of articles, and then you'll be like, "Should I go with Python, or should I do GoLang, or should I just focus on, you know, plain or Java?" It doesn't matter. Like, just go deep in one field. Um, your skill set doesn't uh, is not based on one framework. Right. Today you will move on to other framework, but your uh, core skill set is going to let you um, explore another framework too. So, this is one question I get asked a lot, and I feel it doesn't matter. Just go with uh, whatever you feel comfortable with out of all the languages that are available. That makes sense because you can't have the same exact journey as somebody else. You will have to find your own way. You'll have to forge your own way. So, correct. Another person can't really give you a step-by-step analysis of what to do. Okay, so uh, you've been a part of a lot of projects in your career before in like college. What was the worst and the best project that you've ever been a part of? Okay, so I guess um, that's a tricky question. Uh, it's very hard to choose best project. It's like you know you have worked on so many things and they're like kind of your babies, and then you are asking who is your favorite child. So. <laughs> I don't know about my best project, but I I do feel that any project that um, is you know fast paced uh, that uh, that requires uh, a complex problem solving or it has high impact uh, really gets me. So uh, if I have to give an example, recently I've been working on a project in Uber. Um, I'm not allowed to um, disclose more information about it. <laughs> But um, it's like every city has different rules on how self, uh, on how um, Uber should operate in their city. And we have to accommodate all these different rules and then we have to launch a product in those cities. Uh, so that adds its own complexity. And Uber is super fast-paced environment. So um, we launch products, we, we launch new features very fast. So I feel that you know, all like multiple engineers, uh, product manager, data scientists, um, we all working together to get something out of the door to see it impact um, like real life users who are uh, probably in like hundreds of thousands of numbers. Um, and so that really gives me an excitement and I feel that that, that is probably the best work I'm doing in present time but you know that that answer will probably change with time if you ask me this question and six months after i'm gonna have the answer or if you ask me this like probably a few weeks after i'm gonna have the answer too but uh, right now i feel that um, that really excites me and that's probably best of my work i really love collaborating with my colleagues who are uh, really smart intelligent and i really like to impact um, the life of a lot of users. Um, in terms of worst project, I feel that um, 
you know, anything that we work during December holiday time or like probably in November time, it just drags so much to um, next year. And then in January, when we come back to office, things are kind of slow. We are trying to figure out our roadmap, etc. So there was this one project I worked on last year, November, um, and it just kind of got lost. Like the momentum <laughs> got lost and then... We came back on, uh, we came back in January. We were still trying to figure out how we wanted to launch that. And then comes COVID. Um, so that project got, that project never got launched because that was something that I was working on related airports. And then, you know, people weren't really traveling. So sure. there was no point of that project. So I feel um, that was a very disappointing moment for me. That's, I can't imagine how that would have felt. The holiday laziness and then just COVID derailing everything. Yeah, I guess we all felt it in one way or another. <laughs> all right. So um, again, this is something that is very subjective and could be a controversial answer perhaps. But so you've been coding for a really long time. What is a secret code pet peeve that you've developed that is maybe inconsequential to other people but drives you crazy every single time you see it? Yeah, that that is subjective and controversial, I guess. Um, let me see. So I guess what really gets me mad is um, seeing code comments in the everyday code that I work with where people write, to do for person X, um, remove this or make these changes after uh, something is launched. And then that comment just stays there forever and that person never cleans it up. So that kind of thing really gets me. Um, I feel that uh, to do's for developers and code base is just um, a very, um, I don't know what, what you call it. Um, annoying thing to me um, and I, I really wish people didn't do it <laughs> that's that's completely fair okay now um, some countries are experimenting with a four-day work week right like even India is about to launch it or just let it happen or let companies decide whether they want to take that route so do you think that this will become the norm in the future, just four days a week? However, again, the catch is that it's four days a week, but 12 hours of a working day. So what do you think you would prefer if this becomes the new normal? Yeah, that, that's interesting. I guess um, I've heard that a lot of companies were trying this out. Um, what I don't uh, understand is how one person can really work for 12 hours. Um, that's my opinion that um, if you have to work as a coder or as a software developer, like you have to use your brains a lot. Um, and after a certain time, it's just like either screen fatigue or um, coding fatigue. But um, I feel that for me, especially, my productivity decreases after I'm sitting in front of the same thing for let's say five or six hours or even eight hours. So I don't imagine myself working for 12 hours, um, uh, provided, you know, I'm doing all different things throughout the day, for example, doing um, 
like technical documentation, design review, and then coding, and then again going back to it. I don't know. I have to figure out if I have to really work for 12 hours, but I'm not a fan of um, a long 12-hour working day. I don't think as a student also I achieve too much if I studied uh, for more than 12 hours. Uh, so that's one thing. But you know, of course, like who doesn't get excited about four-day work week? Um, I know that some companies in US that tried four-day work week um, by still going with eight hour long um, work day. So I guess that was really cool. And I really wish that happens. I know that some European countries have that kind of culture. Um, and okay. I guess they have also done research that um, people in that country, uh, those countries are happier. Um, so hmm. I guess maybe this can benefit humanity, but... Um, I really hope that becomes a, a norm one day. Same. I mean, I honestly feel like uh, equating time to how much work or how much productivity you're getting in is not the best way to do it because one person might be able to finish a task, the same task, in half the time as another person. The other person might need more time. And to judge the fact that the other person took more time so they probably did it better is not always the case. So I don't understand why it's measured again by uh, not by what you've achieved, but by how long you sat at that thing for. Correct. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel that that's one thing that I really didn't like about uh, work, work culture of the company that I worked for in India. Um, and I feel that that's something that I really appreciate about the work culture here in Silicon Valley, that people don't care, like our own managers don't care how many hours we are putting in. Uh, what is more impact, important is the impact that we bring in, uh, how much we get, how much more impactful work we get done um, as an individual, as a team, is what is more important than uh, the actual number of hours that anyone has to put. So, yeah, I guess that's also like a cultural difference or a difference in how... Um, one would think that's honestly just so cool i'm just honestly this whole conversation i'm just getting more and more motivated to try and get into the ranks of uber and hopefully work there someday it's just doing a lot of really great things that i hope I that you do that too good luck for that <laughs> thank you i hope to be uh to see you there and to see you achieving even more things in the future that would be cool and as we come to the end of sketchy banter and the end of this podcast are there any words that you'd like to leave the listeners with so I guess this was a great chat um, I want to say thank you and thanks for your team to organizing this uh, this is really awesome um, and I hope that this um is motivating or helpful in any way um, it could be for you know more people and I just want to say that um, if you feel that you didn't get what you wanted and you feel defeated and you feel like a failure just try to think um, about long term um, and think that this is not a permanent thing and you still have power to change your future and 
five years, ten years, and still are still going to be okay. So don't feel defeated. Um, just keep trying, keep working. That's some great advice. This entire conversation has just been so inspiring. Thank you so much for being in conversation with us today. It's been absolutely amazing to get to speak with you about your experiences, about your thoughts, your feelings on different matters. Likewise, I feel um, I feel the same, um, and it was really nice talking with you, Kathy. It was really nice talking with you as well. So with that, we wrap up this episode of the Tech Loop podcast. Thank you so much for listening with us till the end. I hope that you got some really great lessons from this podcast. And um, if someone would like to approach you, how do you think that they could approach you post the podcast? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm reachable through my email ID, Tanvi P as in Patel at asu.edu that's Arizona State University.edu um, and also feel free to send me the request on my LinkedIn and it's TandyPatel25 um, on this happy to chat that's great I hope that this has been enlightening I hope this has been as fun for you as it has been for me and with that we leave you to wait for the next episode that's going to be out <laughs>